Well, as promised, uh, we have Dario Milo with us now. He is the expert on defamation because he's even written a book about it. Dario, that was a long time ago that you wrote, uh, more than 10 years ago, Defamation and Freedom of Speech. Did you know back then uh, that, that it was going to be such a big deal in the South African society? Alec, um, I didn't. I mean, that, that uh, book was based on my PhD um, in London, uh, where I did a, a thesis on defamation and uh, free speech and privacy. Um, and, um, I, and that was before I returned to Webber in practice uh, as a partner um, in media law. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, the, the law of defamation has always been there, but I think in recent years it has become far more um, of, a, of a, um, a tool that is used often, um, sometimes illegitimately and abused by those who seek to um, to sue, uh, you know, the publishers of, um, of of matters of public interest. Yeah, I, I guess it's always a, a, a difficulty when you're in the media like I am. I know very much which side of the fence I'm on on this one. But I don't know how much you can talk about Trevor Manuel and the EFF, given that you are you Trevor Manuel's lawyer in this. Uh, but, yes. but, but that that has sparked off a whole lot of of other yeah. uh, uh, claimants. Well, Alec, I can talk about it, and I don't think that sparked it off because the the interesting thing about Trevor Manuel's claim against the EFF, and, and there I acted for um, unusually for the applicant or the plaintiff. Um, usually, I'm on the side of the defendant, the person um, defending free speech and the media in particular. Uh, but but what's interesting about the Manuel case is that it's a case of fake news. Um, in, in other words, if you look at uh, Matojane's judgment. What he finds is that this was malicious speech by the EFF. It was speech which he says um, they knew to be false. And in fact, um, the EFF conceded by the time it got to the High Court that what was said about Manuel, in other words, that he's corrupt and nepotistic in their media statement, was false. They say, you know, the meaning of the statement has to be viewed in context, and they've got other fancy arguments about why the broad statement is true. But they concede that uh, it's not true that um, Trevor Manuel is related to uh, the SARS commissioner or that um, there was a close business association, which is what they said in the statement. So, so what you have there is a case where there is a it's common cause that the specific statements about the applicant are false. Um, the EFF uh, didn't put up any defense to uh, defend this. And in those circumstances, I think the court came to the correct conclusion, which is that there should be a declaration of falsity and apology and then damages. Um, to be contrasted with that are a number of the cases. Take Arthur Fraser's case where he's suing Jacques Poe for defamation. Um, now, in that case and, and in any, many other cases where, where there's been a bit of a, a spree of litigation, one needs to look very carefully at the proof that the publisher has to prove what they're saying. Because ultimately, if you can prove that what you've said is true, or if you can prove that at least if it's not true, um, you can't prove it's true, at least you acted reasonably in getting to where you got, um, you know, in terms of your sources and your verification steps. The courts will protect you, and, and that's what's um, amazing about the law of defamation is it achieves this balance between the right to dignity of people like mm. Trevor Manuel who can show that what was published about them was false, and on the other hand, the rights of um, publishers such as uh, the media and Jacques Poe and others who can say, yes, we did defame you, but we did so because what we're saying is true. Or we took you know, uh, reasonable steps to verify the allegations. This whole thing of the right to dignity, I've 
done a lot of um, analyzing of Cyril Ramaphosa recently because I read through the autobiography as a as a as an audio book, and in that discussion. Uh, what came out was this, how the right to dignity, or certainly the way Anthony Butler writes in the biography, the right to dignity was almost slipped into the South African constitution. But now, and, and it's, it's a little bit difficult for all of us to understand, what does it mean? What, where does one draw the line on, on uh, where your dignity starts and ends? It's a great philosophical question. Um, the, the legal answer is, in terms of our common law, um, and in terms of the way the Constitution, the Constitution frames it, is that dignity is a value that obviously underlies the entire Constitution. And in fact, underlies all rights, even free speech. Free speech um, is, is, is largely important, not just because it's important in our democracy to hold powerful people to account, but also because it helps the dignity of the speaker um, uh, to be able to express him or herself about what's going on in society. Um, so the, the way the law navigates in a defamation context, the, the dignity of the person defamed versus the dignity or, and the free speech rights of the person who is doing the defaming, is it says, you know, um, if you can show, say, take, take the Trevor Manuel case again, if Manuel can show that what he said about him is defamatory, and here it's the allegation of corruption, so it clearly is defamatory, then it's up to the person who published to prove that either it's true or it is reasonable. So the idea is that, you know, it, it's, it's not a, an actionable um, violation of your rights to dignity and reputation if what I say about you is true and in the public interest or it's reasonable. That's the way the law tries to navigate between the two interests at stake in a defamation case. Now, I know you can't say too much about it, but uh, we ran a piece this week uh, written by the inimitable Ed Herbst on Terry Bell. Now, Terry is a labor journalist. He, he wrote and uh, he, he put uh, quite a, a lot of effort into finding out about Iqbal Survey, I think who was his former employer, wrote an article, yeah. and for his troubles, he's being sued for 100 million rand. Now, I don't think yeah. in his wildest dreams, Terry Bell would be able to find 100 million rand to pay it, but... Where where does that kind of number is it just kind of thrown in is it just thrown in there to to grab headlines? Alec, I'm not sure what the motivation is in that particular case, um, and I can't talk about the specifics of the case. I'm not involved in the case, but uh, but uh, what I would like to say, just at the general level about level of damages, is this: is that um, if you look at the history of damages for reputation in South Africa. Um, the bracket is generally speaking up to about half a million. And, and in fact, in Trevor Manuel's case, as you know, he was awarded half a million, which he's going to donate to, to charity if, if he ever gets the money. Um, you know, the EFF is, of course, appealing or they're applying to the FCA to appeal. So the bracket is generally, there have been a few awards uh, in the half a million bracket, but none are really over that, except perhaps by way of settlement, um, as opposed to a court-ordered amount. Um, what that tells you is that um, our courts don't regard defamation as a way you make a fortune because, um, you know, the idea is that you need to vindicate your reputation and vindicating your reputation can be done through apologies, it can be done through declarations of falsity, and it can be done also by a damages award, um, but at the same time that damages award, our courts have said, can't be so um, uh, significant 
that it in itself, or the threat of that damages award, might stifle the media from doing their job. So, so there's that kind of balancing. Now, on the other hand, you get patrimonial losses. So on the one side, you've got reputational harm, where, as I say, the courts have not been overly generous in what they award. But on the other hand, you get patrimonial harm, which is where someone can say, I have suffered actual loss because of, say, this defamatory article. Um, and, and, and a good example might be someone who loses out on a job um, offer uh, because of a particular publication that they are corrupt. Now, if that person can prove that it was false, or, or, or if that person sues, and, and, and then put it this way, and the publisher can't prove that it's true, and that person who's lost the job can show that it was because of the publication that he lost his job. And then in addition to that, because it's a patrimonial loss claim, he has to prove the plaintiff that the person who published it knew it was false or was reckless. Then you get your patrimonial harm. And of course, mm-hmm. that could be, if it was a 20 million euro dollar, if you like, it could be 20 million euro. So uh, you've got to prove your causation. You've got to prove that the publisher uh, was reckless as to whether it was true or false. And then, yes, you can get patrimonial harm of whatever amount you can prove in rands and cents. But that's quite a different category of damages to um, the damages in a reputational harm case, uh, where the courts have traditionally not been overly generous. Dario, are we likely to see more of uh, of this being used in, in, in the future, given that it, it gets so much publicity? You just think about Jacob Zuma and that uh, famous Zapiro a Lady yes. Justice cartoon where uh, then-President Zuma uh, threatened fire and thunder against Zapiro, and the whole thing just eventually went away. Yes, I was involved in that case for Zapiro, and that's a very good example of um, what I would call a slap lawsuit. In other words, uh, what, what the Americans, in fact, have labeled a strategic lawsuit against public participation, a slap. Mm. And many jurisdictions in America, many states have anti-slap lawsuits. I believe it's uh, it's time that South African courts try to develop the principle of slap, anti-slap uh, um, defamation suits. In the Zuma case, you know, Zuma sued Zapiro for $5 million for the Rape of Justice cartoon, but he also sued Zapiro for two other cartoons, and he sued the Sunday World for a joke. He sued the Sunday Independent for a column written by William Gumede. He sued the, the Bilt for a letter to the editor. Um, and, and, and various, uh, you sued the citizen for a news story, um, the star for a news story. Um, and essentially his claims ultimately added up to around 50 million rand against, against the media. Um, and this, this swing spree, in my view, was uh, clearly a strategy to try and, um, hold it over the media's heads without ever progressing the matters such that, you know, he could actually take it to court because it seemed from observing his conduct in that in those cases, you know, not doing anything after issuing the summonses, that actually he didn't want it to get to court. What we did in the Zapiro case is we said, let's call his bluff. Um, and that meant actually, even though we were the defendants, Sunday Times and Zapiro, we progressed it so that we said to Zuma, if you want to sue us for defamation, we are prepared for it. We want to defend ourselves in court. Zapiro can show that this is fair comment based on facts that are true. Um, and effectively, we, we pushed uh, Zuma through the procedures of the court case such that he ultimately had to make a decision, and he made that decision pretty much on the weekend before the court case was supposed to start. Either he had to pr- pursue the thing, 
pursue the case, which meant that he would have to give evidence because he was also suing for dignity harm um, and be cross-examined by them, Trenzo. Um, or he withdrew the case and ultimately he decided to withdraw the case the eve before, you know, literally on the eve of the court hearing. Um, so that's a good... And, and then I must add that after that, um, you know, rapidly withdrew all his other claims against the media after that um, major, major concession on his part. So, so that was the, a kind of case where the media decided that, you know, let's actually hold the plaintiff here, the former president, accountable for trying to sue us for defamation. If he wants his day in court, he'll have it because we want our day in court. If he doesn't, he must withdraw and tender costs, and that's exactly what he did. Um, but in order to get to that point to call someone's bluff, you actually have to, unfortunately, um, progress the legal action. Um, that means spending money. It means, you know, briefing counsel. It means getting ready for the court case, preparing for the trial. Um, and, and many defamation defendants would much rather, simply because they don't have the resources, let it die a natural death. Um, but I believe in some of these high-profile cases, it's worth, as I, as I call it, calling the bluff of the person suing you. Um, Dario, because you ultimately will get to that point. Fabulous insights. Thanks to Dario Milo. He's a director at uh, Weber Wenzel and uh, also the author of the 2008 book Defamation and Freedom of Speech.